Okay, if you have a Bible with you, please open it. We are still in Acts. We are in Acts chapter mainly 21, but we're actually going to back up to chapter 20, uh, verse 36, and we're going through chapter 21, verse 17. If you don't have a Bible, uh, the text will be here on the screen. Is everybody able to see it who doesn't have a Bible? I think we're cool. Feel free to move to the other side of the room if you need a better view. But uh, let's, let's pray together. God, I pray that you would open your word to us now. I pray that uh, no matter how weak I feel, that the Holy Spirit would use your word to empower and transform your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, several years ago here... Um, not far from here, just one neighborhood over in Whittier where I live, we had uh, what was called the deadliest summer. It was uh, a summer where there was a lot of, uh, well, you know, murders. And um, I remember uh, right when it started, I was, um, I was in the backyard and, but, you know, I had, a, I had many kids, but they were, they were pretty small and we were playing catch. It was one of those really idyllic birds chirping, blue sky summer day you know, all is right with the world, you know, cat, literally playing catch with, with mitts the whole night. It was great, you know? Um, and completely, like, shattering this peaceful moment was the panic-inducing sound of gunshots really close by. Now, if you ever go to a gun range... The sound of a gunshot, it's jarring, right? Even if you're ready for it wearing cans and everything else, it's jarring. So if you can imagine what it is to be not expecting it and have shots fired just a few feet from you, just on the other side of our fences, it would turn out, right? Like you can imagine the, the adrenaline that shoots through your body, the panic, the fear that's sudden. And, and my, my thoughts, of course, turn to the fact that, hey, um, my kids are, are a few feet from... from gunfire, you know, shots fired in anger here. And so I did what came naturally when I'm terrified. I got away from it. I grabbed my kids. We ducked down. We ran inside and we called 911. And that all seems pretty intuitive and normal. But here's the thing. And I've told this story before because this was a really important, uh, this was a really important lesson I learned is that I, I went the wrong way. I realized that I blew it. I felt deep conviction. Um, not that I am any good against, you know, gunfire, but here's the thing. A few feet away from me, just on the other side of my fence, as it would turn out, there was potentially a person who had been shot. And, you know, I, of course, would, should have done whatever I could to save this person's life, but also they needed to hear the gospel. Like, they could have been going to meet God right then and never heard the gospel. And I'm a minister of the gospel. That's my job. That's my calling. Like, like it's not, hey, if it's safe enough, go share the gospel. <laughs> right? That, that is my calling in life. I went the wrong direction. Why? Because that direction was scary. <laughs> the way Jesus called me was terrifying. And here's the thing. It's not always gunfire or something like that, right? 
But the direction that Jesus calls us in is always going to take courage to go there. There's always going to be something scary that way in my experience. I can think of precious few things that God calls us to that are very safe and very comfortable. You could think of, uh, for instance, around the world and throughout history, being a Christian, like accepting the gospel, professing faith, is a, a, the, 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 the fast track to persecution from the government, from other people. Uh, in many societies, right, like if you live in a Muslim or Hindu society and you receive Christ, your family has a funeral for you. Right? You, you, you face social uh, rejection and ostracization. I'm not even going to try that word. Ostracization. That's too many siths in it. But, but it, it, it's, it's, it's inarguably dangerous. It's inarguably unsafe to name the name of Christ in many societies, yet Jesus calls that way. Some of you guys and other people have downright physically dangerous callings in life, right? So, so some of you are like emergency medical. That's a dangerous job. Working at a homeless shelter, physically dangerous. You can think of law enforcement or, or soldiers or, or kindergarten teachers. These are physically <laughs> dangerous, life-on-the-line jobs. It's scary. Get Jesus calls that way. There's another type of fear that Jesus calls us to. And that might be undertaking something that is risky, financially risky, high chance of failure, that sort of thing. You know, I'll tell you guys, planting a church is one of the most terrifying experiences of my life. I'm scared stiff right now. Not as much anymore, but it was bad for a while. Yet Jesus called that way. Some of us are terrified of commitment. I'm not looking at anybody. I'm not looking at anybody. No one, I'm not looking at any particular person who's terrified of committing, whether it's to community, whether it's to marriage, or what have you. But, but it's a fearful thing. How do I know it's going to be okay? How do I know I'll be safe? You don't. It's scary, yet Jesus may call that way. Some of us, Walking through the door of a church is one of the bravest things we've done. It can be frightening. Some of you guys just listen to the podcast. Literally, there's people who will listen to this later who are like, yeah, I'll listen to it online. I'm not so sure about walking in the door because, you know, painful experiences in the past. And, and it's, it's scary to go that way. What if I get rejected? Yet Jesus calls us to community. Some of you guys have not filled out the community group intent survey because that's too scary. <laughs> community group is scary. I'm going to sit in a room with people and I'm going to answer questions. You never have to answer a question. That's one of our policy. But eventually, eventually God is going to call you to open up to some degree to other people, to, to be known. And that scares the pants off you, some of you guys. Some of us, Know right now that we need to confess to someone that what's really happening in our lives. And that, 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 that very thought fills you with fear. Yet Jesus calls. For some of us, 
there is a part of your life that you can't even admit to yourself that you need to bring before God, that you need to be brutally honest before God, and it terrifies you to think, to, to, to think that, that, that you could ever come face to face with God about that. You know what's even scarier than that, though? You know what's scarier than moving towards things that scare you because Jesus calls that way? It's to never move towards anything scary. You know what happens then? If you you run away from every fear, if you run away from every scary thing, you will be committed to nothing. You will stand for nothing. You will risk nothing. You will face no challenges. In the words of Bill Shakespeare, (laughs) cowards die many times before their deaths. But what do we do? It's scary. How can we move towards something that all of our self-preservation instincts say, go the other way? Is it a switch we can flip so that we're not afraid? What do we do? Well, we are going to go on a journey with Paul today. And it is, it is a journey that begins the final phase of the book of Acts. One might call it his fourth missionary journey, but it's different than the others. And we'll see why. Now, sometimes when we look at a Bible text, we like get microscopic and we're like, okay, let's look at what this verb is doing in Greek and just really nerd out because I know you guys are all nerds at heart. But this isn't like that. This is, this is much more, let's try and see the big picture and let's try and use our imaginations of, of what it would be like to be there because Luke, the writer of Acts, is giving us a lot of vivid detail. He's in, inviting us to step into the scene. So let's take a look. Acts chapter 20, verse 36. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. Now, who's he praying with? This is from last week. He was, he was giving a final charge to the elders of the church at Ephesus, men who he loved, who he had spent a lot of time with, and he had told them he would never see them again And he told them that persecution awaited him from here on out. And he was pleading with them to care for the church. So he says, when he had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. What is that? What's it like to be there? Right? Like... Like, this is not some stoic, waspy goodbye. Oh, best of luck. This is is man tears time, right? This is a bunch of guys falling out on each other because Paul told them he'll never see them again. And they love each other. And Paul, look at at verse 1 of chapter 21. It says it all. It says, after we had torn ourselves away from them. Do we get the impression that Paul's heart is unattached to this group of guys, that this is an easy parting? No, Luke really wants us to see that this is a hard parting. This is a sorrowful parting, isn't it? Okay, well, let's continue on. After we had torn ourselves away from them, we put out to sea and sailed straight to Kos. The next day, we went to Rhodes and from there to Patara. We found a ship crossing over to Phoenicia, went on board and set sail. After sighting Cyprus and passing to the south of it, we sailed on to Syria. We landed at Tyre, where our ship was to unload its cargo. 
Does that seem like a lot of words to say we went from here to there? Like, you ever notice in the Bible, they'll cover 50 years. Like, a writer of the Bible will cover 50 years in a sentence. This happened, then this happened. Don't worry about it, 50 years. Why? This is, this is like slow-mo, isn't it? It's really taken us through this journey. I brought a little map for us um, so that we can see where they were. Okay, so they were here at Miletus. So the Ephesian elders had come from here to here. I love my laser pointer, guys. And, and you see that they're, they're doing... They're, they're on boats that go close to the shore. They didn't really have sea travel down at this point, so what you would do is navigate by the shore, and also if something happened to your boat, you could swim to shore. But then uh, they, they, they take the 400-mile journey all the way to Tyre, right? And, and this is, this is the, the area that, that, uh, that they started out from. Um, so why is he telling us all the ports they went to? Interesting travel? No, like he didn't have extra papyrus and ink. The, the idea is that Luke wants it to slow down. He wants you to feel the slowness of the journey. How long does that take? You have to go from this place to this place to this place. Did you notice that it switched to first person? This is one of the two first person sections of the book of Acts. It's we had torn ourselves apart. Luke was personally present for this. So so what's this like? And, and why is he putting it in? It, it, can you imagine being on an ancient ship? If any of you have ever been on a wooden sailing vessel for whatever class field trip or something like that, that's my experience with it. Can you imagine the salt air, the seagulls, the smell of fish and ancient sailors? Can, what's Paul doing during this journey? He just... He, he just wrenched himself away from the Ephesian elders. This, is, this has last journey vibe to it. This is the end. That's the idea here, is he wants you to feel the slowness of this journey, and here's why. Look at verse 4. It says, We sought out the disciples there. This is when they get to Tyre. We sought out the disciples there and stayed with them seven days. Through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. When it was time to leave, we left and continued on our way. All of them, including wives and children, accompanied us out of the city. And there on the beach, we knelt to pray. After saying goodbye to each other, we went aboard the ship and they returned home. So what do we have? A warning not to go to Jerusalem. Please take note of it. And also we have another, like, do you think that Luke just threw in this detail about the wives and children coming just for interest's sake? No, this is again, they're pleading with Paul, don't go. Don't go to Jerusalem. Why is he going to Jerusalem? We're, we're told back in chapter 20 that the Spirit is compelling him on to Jerusalem and that persecution awaits him. And so he's taking this slow, agonizing journey to Jerusalem. He's warned in Tyre by the disciples there that, that nothing good's waiting for you in Jerusalem. Yet the Spirit drives him on. And you have another emotional parting. Then verses 7 through 9. We continued our voyage from Tyre and landed at Ptolemaeus where we greeted the brothers and sisters and stayed with them for a day. Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip the evangelist, one of the seven. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. Unmarried refers more to age than marital status. It's saying they were too young to get married. Um, 
And so again, you have this very slow uh, progression as, as he's headed down to Jerusalem. Let's, let's bring the map back. Okay, so they land here, right? It's like this, this whole Aegean world's very different from the Levant, culturally speaking. As if you've ever been traveling abroad, um, you know, outside of the States, and you come back to like New, New York International Airport, you're like, I'm not home, but it feels a lot more like home. That, that's kind of the idea. And he keeps encountering disciples. Do you know, notice that? When Paul was setting out on his missionary journeys, he couldn't encounter disciples. You know why? There were no churches there yet. And everywhere he goes, they're like, let's find the disciples. And they do. And so they are now at this major city of Caesarea. And they're just about 70 miles from Jerusalem. This all goes somewhere, I promise. After we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt tied his own hands and feet with it and said, the Holy Spirit says, in this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. What's waiting for Paul in Jerusalem? Arrest. Where's Paul going? Jerusalem. Stage by agonizing stage. Right, it, it, it's it's kind of like when um, there was a guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a, a, a German pastor last century, and he he had a, a community over in Germany. And for many years, he lived in New York City. And as the Nazis took power and were consolidating power, and as the the First World War was starting, he had actually been part of a group of pastors who had who had signed a declaration condemning the Nazi Party and Nazism. He knew that if he went back to Germany, it was, he was as good as arrested and dead. But he could not bear the thought that his church community would face this war without their pastor. He got on the very last ship that went to Berlin from New York. The last one. All he had to do was not walk on it. But he got on it. And he was martyred. This is the same idea. The easiest thing in the world is don't go to Jerusalem. Paul was like, hey, if you walk to Santa Fe, New Mexico, you're getting like bad things are going to happen. You'd be like, thanks. I won't walk to Santa Fe, New Mexico. No problem. Okay, what is Paul doing? He keeps moving slowly towards it. Look at verse 12 through 14. When we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. After this, we started on our way up to Jerusalem. Some of the disciples from Caesarea accompanied us and brought us to the home of Manasseh, where we were to stay. He was a man from Cyprus and one of the early disciples. When we arrived at Jerusalem, the brothers and sisters received us warmly. So Luke takes us on this emotional, full of warnings, slow, slow, agonizing journey to Jerusalem. Paul overcoming his reluctance at every step, knowing he's walking into persecution. 
Why does Luke include this story? A couple questions. Did Luke write another book besides Acts? The answer is yes, it's called Luke. (laughs) That sucks. (laughs) In the book of Luke, which is only 24 chapters, there is another journey to Jerusalem. And it's slow. You know how many chapters out of 24 are on Jesus' journey to Jerusalem? 10. It is from Luke 9 to 19. We are slow walking with Jesus to Jerusalem the whole way. He's saying, and by the way, when I get there, suffering and persecution awaits. Crucifixion awaits him. What is Luke wanting us to see here? He wants us to see that Paul is walking the same path that Jesus did. That this thing that is terrifying, yet God calls that way. That's the way Jesus went, and that is the way that Paul went. He's following Jesus into the scary. This is the path of discipleship. If we are followers of Jesus, by definition, it means we move towards the frightening things that God calls us to. Now, does that mean we're called to everything scary? Hey, I bet you'd be scary to run across the freeway at night. I bet you I'm called to that. No, you're not called to that. No, you're not called to something that is not called to everything that's scary, but pretty much everything we're called to is scary in some way or another. It takes moral courage. It takes personal courage. It takes physical courage. You name it. Following Jesus means moving towards the scary. So is that it? Buck up, trooper. Don't be afraid. No, not really. The, the whole point is that Jesus went first. This makes a huge difference. Let me explain. Several years ago, uh, you know, my, my son and I, we always take a birthday trip. We, 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 his birthday is June 13th, mine's the 14th. And so we have a traditional father-son birthday trip. It's really great. And, and one time we were, we were walking around, we were camping somewhere, we were walking around in the wilderness, and, and we came to a, a pretty fast-flowing, pretty decently wide uh, river. And I was like, hey, we should cross that. And he's like, Dad, I don't know. That's pretty scary. Now, nowadays, he wouldn't even, he'd, he would literally swing from a vine. Like, yeah, there's no problem. He's, he's way, got way more courage than, than me. But he was, he was not really sure that he could do it. And it was, it was pretty scary. I said, dude, don't worry. I'm going to go first. And all you have to do is watch where I go. Just watch the rocks, watch how I get across. And you come right after me. And you'll see I get across and then you'll get across. And that's exactly what we did, right? I, I go first, he follows after me. Did he move towards something scary? Yes, but I went first for him. That's the same idea. Actually, this is, a, this is an idea that's all over the New Testament, especially in the book of Hebrews. It talks about how Jesus is something of a trailblazer right through death. Whatever it is, that God is calling us to, that frightens us right now, you do not go alone. Jesus has gone before you. Jesus has gone before you into the scary, and our job is to follow Jesus into the scary. The next time you come face to face with that decision, you know that God is calling you towards something, but the thing that's keeping you back is fear. 
You know, there, there's that conversation you need to have with somebody. I hope it's not me. <laughs> Joking, it's fine if it's me. But it's going to take some courage. You have to sort things out with this person. You have to tell them the truth. Or you see the, you see the way that they're going and, and you know that, that God is calling you to, to intervene. And you're afraid. Afraid of losing a friend. You're afraid of, ca- of, of causing some sort of relational dust-up in your family. Yet Jesus calls. Follow him into the scary. There's a commitment coming. A community that you're called to move towards. And the thing that holds you back is fear. You don't walk that alone. Jesus went before you. For some of us, we're talking about community groups and and the idea of being in there and everybody being vulnerable. You're like, oh, they're going to expect me to be vulnerable eventually. (laughs) Well, no one's ever going to force you to be at this church. I want to make that clear. But also, God may call you to be. That's a scary thing that God may be calling you towards. Move towards the scary, not away from it. Because Jesus has gone before. You may be going through a struggle right now. Right? Something that you're hiding from everybody. And you know that it would be a load off of your soul. You know that God wants you to confess it to somebody that you trust so that you can start healing. But you're terrified of doing so. What will they think? God's calling you to the scary. Jesus has gone first. We do not walk alone. It is not just open a can of courage and do it. Jesus has gone before us. He does not leave us to walk towards these things alone. He goes with us. Because Christ has moved, has gone through the scary, we need to move towards it. Please pray with me. Jesus, I pray that you would make us a people who are courageous, that we would move towards the very thing that you call us to, even if it frightens us, that you would keep pulling us towards redemption, that you would keep pulling us towards courage, towards doing things for your kingdom that matter, that you would keep calling us towards experiencing the fear and the discomfort and pushing through it, so that we could become more like Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.